Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Vittles and Vitals podcast, where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food, because everything connects to food. I'm Jay Reed. I'm the author. And I'm Jacob Reed. I'm the muck, and we're your ostash. If you didn't understand what you just said, you're clearly not Irish. Or we could just as easily say, if you didn't understand what we just said, then clearly you are Irish. And we botched either the pronunciation or the translation, or very likely both. So, uh, yeah, that was Irish. That was uh, the father, the son, and not the Holy Ghost, but the host, which, gosh, I'm getting really into religious terms here. The host, I was, <laughs> when I was looking up how to oh. say the host, <laughs> oh, that's another host. I'm the talking about the host, host of the uh, communion. Uh, Isn't that a cr- communion term? Uh, I You're don't the know. seminary student. I am in seminary, but we typically talk about how the Lord's table has been done wrong in the past, not how it was done <laughs> right. So, well, anyway, you usually had to be ordained by the Catholic Church in that time to perform, as they would call it, the Eucharist. Um, so hard to say at this time. We're okay. Well, I just as I was looking up how to say host in Irish, I came across uh, some religious terms. So mm. I think that was one of them. So anyway, obviously we don't speak. Irish, and um, you know, I, if you thought Irish was English, you'd you'd be wrong, and we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, so, Jacob, do you know another? Uh, we've pretended to be Irish here for a moment. Uh, do you know another example of when hundreds of thousands of people across the world also pretend to be Irish? It's got to be St. Patrick's Day. It's That's... the day on that March seventeenth. Everybody set, had, wears those really bad shirts that say "Kiss Me, I'm Irish," and buttons that. Ha- haven't been pulled out since last year come out somebody all of a sudden guinness is sold in every bar and everybody's wearing green and there's a bunch of lucky charms running around lucky charms <laughs> running around yes uh, they have the leprechauns and lots of partying and mm-hmm. one thing i read said that uh, saint patrick's day could be the one holiday celebrated in more countries around the world than than any other holiday. So I, don't I thought know it would have been Cinco de Mayo personally, Cinco. but well, that's catching up, I think. And actually, both both of those holidays, St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo, are holidays that have become sort of just excuses to party mm-hmm. um, in America, at least. When really yeah. they they have a much deeper deeper history and just going back quickly to the kiss me i'm irish uh shirts or stickers or whatever i used to see a lot more of that than i do now but i wonder if that's kind of the mistletoe of saint patrick's day it's hard to say i mean i mean have you actually ever kissed someone because they were wearing a kiss me i'm irish t-shirt i never have done that i think that's probably a good policy to to maintain yeah, it's probably pretty safe. I'm not gonna lie. So, what about let's let's uh, go over a little bit of history here. So, what, why don't you tell us a little bit about Saint Patrick himself, who, as it happens, is not a saint after all. I know uh, Saint Patrick. You know, you classically know him as the patron saint of Ireland. He was actually born in the town of Roman Britain. Well. I'm a town Banna in Venta, Roman Britain. <laughs> yeah, Banaventa Bernia, 
I don't know how that's said, in the late 300s AD. So this is a long, long time ago. And he was an Irish. He was British. And his name was even Patrick. It was Maywin Sukkat. You notice how I gave you all the uh, the hard words to pronounce in your statement. I know. You, you take one biblical class and everybody thinks you can pronounce all the really weird words. Um, but, yeah, he actually went through a ton of names. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them all, but we good, all kind of know him as Patrick because he didn't like his name. Um, so from there, his father was a deacon in the early Christian church, but Patrick, as most saints at one time were, were not. Uh, a Christian of himself. Would you call and him a pagan saint instead of a I patron saint? I don't know saint? if you can call him a pagan saint. I mean, <laughs> I guess pagans had saints. Saints and ain'ts, you know. Um, but all that. He was captured by Irish pirates, which I thought was really interesting, at the age of 16, and was enslaved for six years as a shepherd. So uh, I'm sure there's some biblical references uh, that can be made there. Oh, yeah. Um, he, through his time in captivity... He became a Christian. Great. Love it. He learned the Irish language and culture. And then, as one does, he escaped and went back to Britain. But he was captured by the French along the way. He sort of had some bad luck here with the uh, No, he, he really struggled issue. it. But as you know, they say, through the fire of captivity, he was refined. Uh, he learned Is that about, what they say? That's what they say. Oh, okay. He learned about uh, monasticism while he was captured in France and then as began to study Christianity in Britain. Uh, and as all good Catholic saints or almost Catholic saints, he had a vision where he was told to go share the gospel with the Irish. So how did that go? He apparently kicked it off really well. Uh, started a little bit difficult, a little rocky, had to start out on some small islands, tucked away. But then they say that he may have baptized up to 100,000 people, started uh, nunneries, ordained priests, converted the sons of kings, and aided in the formation of over 300 churches in the area. That's quite a church planner. That is quite a lot for sure. I thought it was very interesting. Um, and then everybody knows the classic story of him going and banishing all the snakes from Ireland. Which That's is probably false. Not true. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, probably false. Uh, no reason why there would be snakes in Ireland. That's not really a native species. But they do believe that he popularized the shamrock in Ireland because he used it to explain the Holy Trinity, which... As we may discuss later, I think that was probably a heresy. <laughs> okay, I can't wait to hear about. I can't wait to hear about that. Oh, that was <laughs> real bad. I'm the Ahar. Is, it's an Ahar joke. The Ahar joke. But all that to say, he was never actually made a saint of the Catholic Church, but he is held in very high regard throughout the Christian world. Right, and especially in Ireland. I mean, even though he may not be an official saint, he definitely um, is the impetus behind St. Patrick's Day. Uh, they say that he passed away on March the 17th, so that's why we celebrate it on March mm. 17th, just to celebrate him. 
Started out as a religious celebration in the 17th century, just to kind of commemorate his life, the arrival of Christianity. So it was a religious holiday. It doesn't seem too religious today as it is celebrated in the Americas. But, party, party, uh, party! Yeah, pretty much. So as Irish began to immigrate to the States in the early 18th century, they brought the tradition and... Um, 1737 was the very first St. Patrick's Day parade in Boston, which I don't, I didn't check to see if it was happening this year because COVID's kind of screwed up everything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I mean, it, I think it's pretty much been going on every year since then. Um, so I guess mid 19th century, what is that, 1800s? I, I always get my 19th century is 1800s, right? So that is um, true. That took me a long time to figure out. Um, so you saw a lot of Irish immigrants coming then because of the Great Famine. And so you had a rather small feast day observance into a full-blown party um, that people just kind of decided this would be this would be a fun thing to do, whether I'm Irish or not. Mm-hmm. So I guess in the 1903, it became a national holiday in Ireland. And then it kind of turned in. They called it feast day. It turned into what now you know most people call St. Patrick's Day. And like I said, it's celebrated all over the world. Why was it called Feast Day? Well, what I'm understanding, what I gathered from it is it happens during the Lent season. Mm-hmm. And so in Ireland, at least, I don't know if this is through Catholicism or just in Ireland, but they sort of lifted Lent restrictions. And I don't pretend to be an expert on Lent, but I know Neither people I. deny themselves certain things during Lent. It's supposed to be a kind of a season of, of denial you know, prior to Easter. And mm-hmm. I, my understanding was they they would sort of lift the restrictions on that day, and you mm-hmm. could eat kind of what you wanted to, or at least eat the things that maybe you were restricted from the day before or the day after. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really less about drinking, which is kind of the focus now. It seems sometimes uh, it was more about eating, and it wasn't really so much about what you ate, but that you could eat. You know, period. That's sort of the, yeah. the thing. So that's, I think that's why it was called Feast Day, because uh, I guess just the March 17th happened to come generally uh, in that season before Easter. Um, and then, you know, as it developed from there, um, I mean, of course, all, all kinds of things have come up. Like we've mentioned before, the, the leprechauns come around, the, uh, the shamrocks, the green, everything. And actually, one little tidbit was that the color of St. Patrick's Day used to be blue. And then, and I've kind of I forgotten. See that. I've kind of forgotten why it was blue, but um, let's see. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't write that down. But anyway, they turned green later because I think there's a song called The Wearing of the Green. There was some during some war. And mm-hmm. so, in kind of in honor of that, they. Yeah, uh, I think it was uh, the green. Irish Rebellion, you know, because when I- Ireland was rebelling against England, they were wearing or the British would wear the red, and I think the Irish chose a green because it's like the about as opposite of a color as you could get. And that could be. Even, even today, like Irish rebels wear the green to okay. symbolize like their Irish heritage. Well, that could be. So, Jacob, would, you know, you, most of you from, from the time you were one and a half till you were almost 11, we were in Yemen and... I don't really remember that being one of the countries, even though he said it was celebrated in almost every country around the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was actually celebrated very much there. So you weren't 
face to face with it as much as I was growing up. But do you remember? You have any memory of it at all as a kid? Uh, not from the ages of one to eleven. It wasn't really until I got to the United States that I th- can even remember seeing anything of St. Patrick's Day. I don't think we ever celebrated it there, did we? No, I don't think no, so. No, it wasn't really a thing. You know, and even when we got back, I mean, do you have any memories of of anything really? Uh, I remember being noted. pinched um, for not wearing my green, but um, that is about it. I would like purposely wear like a green bracelet on that day so I could have a little bit of green uh, to protect myself. So that actually was fascinating because that's kind of that's probably my most vivid memory of St. Patrick's Day as a non-Irish, mm-hmm. non-Catholic, uh, partially celebratory person, and I got to looking into that to figure out, you know, what. You know, why do we do that? And, you know, what's the the deal here? And so one thing I found, this is on collegiatetimes.com, that, of course, people wear the green out of respect for Ireland. So if you don't wear green, it's kind of considered shameful. And if you, you know, of course, you get pitched to be shamed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, another uh, theory or uh, legend, I guess, was that people wore green on St. Patrick's Day so that you'd be invisible to leprechauns, mischievous leprechauns. So mm. they fly through they the air pinching gold. anyone who failed to wear green. And if you, uh, so I guess you're, you know, kind of comparing yourself to the leprechauns. But I don't know why the uh, this radio station in Lafayette, Louisiana, found mm. the rules, but that's where I These found them. my favorite. Them. So, yeah, so here's some of the rules about pinching on St. Patrick's Day. So one, you must be wearing green. Green nails, hair, face pants, stickers, etc. Don't count. The green right, so must be part of your clothing. Right. So, and it must be visible. And I know this was something that I know I'm I'm sure that I did, mm-hmm. and I others did, did uh, in in school. Is like, well, okay, you forgot to wear green, so you would say, well, the little grape on my fruit of the loom. Mm-hmm. emblem on my underwear is green therefore mm-hmm. i am wearing green and you so either people believed you or you had to prove it and if you had to prove it that caused other problems in school it really would these days and you'd be like you'd be suspended oh yeah <laughs> not okay. expelled today for showing your fruit of the looms at school but um so yeah that was the kind of thing it's got to be it had to be obvious and if you forgot yeah. well what was you what was you just because you don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day doesn't mean you're excluded. Pinches are blind and only see green or lack thereof. Yeah. So if you, even if you don't celebrate it, you're at risk. That's right. And you can pinch somebody as many times as you want. Of course, if you pinch somebody, you might get smacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you p- accidentally pinch someone that is wearing green, supposedly they can pinch you back 10 times per pinch. And I think that's... Uh, you know, these days it'd be tough, you know, because you have uh, bullying issues. Yeah. You have hashtag me too issues. And so it's probably just best not to uh, adopt a practice of pinching. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, air pinch maybe. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bloop in the air. Uh, how hard you pinch is up to you. Uh, but pinching is fun, but not abuse. Right. So just make it fun. Don't take it too yeah, seriously. Don't abuse people. Yeah, but that's me too. I guess we took it pretty seriously as kids. Mm-hmm. That was uh, because that was the the only the big thing that we did. No, for sure. Another thing that I noticed too that I was curious about was um, the river, and I wish I forgot. Is it? I don't know what the name of the river is. I should look that up. But the big river that goes through Chicago, apparently, 
is dyed green every year at St. Patrick's Day. And I thought, even in this day, are they still doing it? Are they still allowing it? Because, you know, throwing paint in the river seems like a bad thing. I don't think environmentally. it is. Well, first things first, it is the Chicago River for those at home. Very original name. That makes sense. Uh, and many people consider it the kickoff to the Chicago St. Patty's Day festivities. And according to terrapass.com, uh, apparently it is very safe because the dye is vegetable-based. And it's apparently actually orange. Um, yeah, the powder, it's a powder with the water. that's orange. And yes. then it turns green. So it's green. like tang, but it turns green. <laughs> that's, okay. But nobody is 100% certain what goes into the water except the group, which is the Plumbers Association. Chicago correct? Plumbers Union. Yeah, the Chicago Plumbers Union, who have kept their age-old secret very tight. Since no major environmental groups have argued about this. Right, so you got since 1962... It's when it's been done, and they've been doing it ever since. Uh, and the dye was actually developed so that plumbers could tell, like, if there was a leak. So I guess they put this dye in the water system, and you could see more easily see leaks if it was, you know, lime green coming out the pipe instead of the, you know, water colored, which is not colored at all. So mm-hmm. yeah, and it, I, I did read one thing too that when they first did it, like they used a hundred pounds of dye, and the river stayed green for a week. Uh, and the original dye was was not vegetable based and was maybe a little bit more uh, or a little bit less uh, friendly mm-hmm. to the environment. But now they they assure everyone that it's fine. And it only lasts like I think it lasts less than a day now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I find that super interesting uh, that they get away with that, and also that only forty pounds of dye is required to make it that color you know yeah they said they have uh like two speed boats and they dump the dye out kind of with a flower sifter and mm-hmm. kind of spread it out and then a third boat goes behind them and just goes back and forth and churns it up i guess with the motors and uh and it's pretty i mean if you see pictures of it it's it's green it's showing up mm-hmm. green i find it really interesting also they only dye like a city block but then it just makes the whole thing just be this massive color so that's super cool and props to them for keeping it uh a secret recipe yeah and very unique apparently the 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 guy who was the mayor uh, mayor his name was daly i believe at the time a kind of a famous one he wanted to dye all of lake michigan but uh, that seemed to be a little bit much you need a little bit more dye a little bit more and dye. Speaking <laughs> of secret recipes what is your favorite saint patty's day meal to eat enjoy dad you know, that's not something I have done very much. Usually, because it's not like a day off, I haven't really focused on it. But, uh, you know, you go through the grocery store and you see... Uh, actually, your mother, the other day, from work, brought home a shamrock-shaped cookie with green sprinkles. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it came right out of a box from Kroger or Walmart. But mm-hmm. it was actually pretty good. But that's not really Irish food. We're not talking about... Our, you know, green icing on cupcakes. And sadly, it's one of the few holidays that Reese's does not make a special shape for. So there's no shamrock I, shape. I find that actually extremely cup. interesting. I yeah, guess well, the shamrock's just a hard shape. Probably so. And 
I guess they could do a leprechaun hat or something like that, you know, but mm-hmm. there, there's so much Easter out by then that, uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day kind of gets the shaft when it comes to They just to need to do an egg in a green wrapping. <laughs> I'm sure Double they could come up <laughs> with dip. something. That's exactly right. So, yeah, like I said, it's, it's um, you know, there's that Lent connection. It's not so much what they eat, but one of the things that I think all of us who are not Irish think happens is that corned beef and cabbage is like the meal of St. Patrick's Day. And it's really not. I mean, it may have become the meal that we Mm -hmm. associate with. And so if you go through the grocery store now, my guess is if you walk back to the meat department in our local grocery store today, there would be a lot more corned beef and there would be a lot more cabbage than usual in preparation Mm -hmm. for this celebration but really corned beef is not an irish uh it's not an irish dish uh, just a real real brief history of where it came from because it is interesting is that like uh, when britain took over ireland they were you know they kind of used ireland as a as a food producing area and so they would grow the cows in in ireland and ship the meat back to britain meanwhile leaving them to eat potatoes pretty much and mm-hmm. uh, the salt crystals that were used to preserve it were sort of corn size, you know, corn kernel shaped and sized. So that's where your corned beef is a preservation method. Um, huh. And that's still now, I think if you go, gosh, if you look at, uh, like if you go buy a kit, because right now you can get like a corned beef brisket and uh, it comes with the brine, the marinade, and it's got like big mustard seeds and stuff so it kind of still has that same look as i recall because i tried to buy a brisket one day and the guy hands me this corned beef package i'm like dude i'm not putting that on my smoker to make Mm -hmm. brisket with he's it's the same thing i'm like no dude it might be (laughs) the same cut of meat or part of the same cut of meat but uh Mm -hmm. look at all that stuff i'm not putting that on my brisket i mean i'm sure it's delicious but that's not happening so we're american here burger so Anyway, so you've got, um, you know, they they brought, they did bring that tradition over a little bit when they came over, um, but like I said, it wasn't really a, a tradition for Irish there and probably not Irish here either. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, one, one site said if you go to Ireland today, you probably won't see corned beef on any menu. Yeah. But um, I did find one really interesting site that said, you know, it was called, I think it was mashed.com, which is appropriate mm-hmm. given some of the things that are on the, on that website. Uh, what Irish people really eat on St. Patrick's Day. So we'll hit some of those. Uh, one that really jumped out to me and, you know, the classic, there's the classic steak and Guinness pie, uh, which is like a small savory pie, just jam packed of steak and veggies and, all that good stuff, so it looked delicious, as well as the chicken and leek pie. Yeah, that one also I haven't really done good. a lot with leeks, but the pie really looked good. Um, it's basically kind of like a chicken pot pie, but but the filling is creamy with chicken and leeks, and uh, I mean that I could never make a crust like that. <laughs> I I forget where we were, but we went to that hand pie place. They oh. had stuff like this. Yeah, when we were in um, Atlanta, Atlanta at the uh, at the market there, the Wooden Pont City, but the other the other mm-hmm. market. All that to say, 
I am a huge fan of savory pies, and I feel like more Americans should make them and eat them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the pies they also mentioned here, and this is something going back, you know, we talked about what we remembered from like our elementary school days. One of my favorite things in the cafeteria was what they called shepherd's pie. And Mm -hmm. at school, it was basically a little bit of ground beef, maybe some carrots and peas with, uh, you know, mashed potatoes on top and cheese on top of that. You know, kind of cheese would get a little bit crusty on the edges. So, you know, everybody makes fun of cafeteria food at school. But the shepherd's pie was one of my favorite things. And I want to say, did you, was that one of your things that you liked? Or Lauren, I can't remember. One of y'all, I think, actually liked the shepherd's pie. It might have been Lauren. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the shepherd's pie, so I think Lauren was the one, uh, who was really could have been the big fan of shepherd's pie. Could have been. Well, it, one interesting thing I noticed: there's shepherd's pie and there's cottage pie, and I think probably what we actually had in school was more cottage pie because that's supposedly made with beef, where uh, the shepherd's pie was made with lamb, and I'm I'm sure that there was no ground lamb. In our school mm-hmm. cafeteria. Yeah, no, for sure. That would be... I don't think our school could afford that. <laughs> no, anything. Yeah, we'll be uh, something else that beef. jumped out to me was the rhubarb pie. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure what a rhubarb is, but... It's actually a vegetable, could... but they but it's used commonly in, in pies, especially in combination with strawberries. Interesting. One of my friends, Mrs. I mean, Blake had... here, used to make strawberry rhubarb pie or rhubarb. Maybe he, maybe hers was just rhubarb pie. And uh, whenever she made it, she would make give save me a piece of it. <laughs> I'm sure it would be something I would try once. It kind of looks like a red celery, so it does have that sort of look. Now, one thing you you will also not remember, um, <laughs> but I'll share it anyway. Is when we went to um, we went to England a couple times. Uh, for meetings when we lived overseas. And one of the things that they had in the dining hall at the uh, conference center where we stayed was a rhubarb dessert, like a rhubarb with custard. And it was kind of, I guess it might have been rhubarb pie or something similar to it. So, mm-hmm. again, you know, that was England, closer to Ireland than we are, even though maybe not best buds. And so I'm guessing that's kind of where that came from. This one looks kind of hardy. The picture that I'm looking at looks kind of like it's very uh, fibrous, but mm-hmm. um, but it's good if it's done right. It's it's very good. I don't know. This apple cake picture looks pretty good too. I was trying to actually find the recipe for the one that's in the picture, and of course the recipes they link to have nothing to do with that apple pie, but um, mm-hmm. it looks pretty good too. And yeah, I know that one looks good. And then you know, there's the classic Irish coffee. Which is forbidden. Booze, booze-filled <laughs> coffee, uh, forbidden for me at this moment. But I found it really interesting that it was it didn't really come around until like 1942, and like there's a really certain specific way that you put uh, the fresh whipped cream on it so it f- stays at the top. I noticed that too. That was kind of cool. And I, you know, there was a couple of other things that jumped out at me if you think about the the shepherd's pie having mashed potatoes on top and then there was another recipe that they linked to called um champ um bacon and champ and um champ is actually a mixture of mashed potatoes with scallions in it and then Mm. another uh, 
another recipe that they give here that you may have heard of it's called cold cannon which is a mixture of mashed potatoes and kale uh maybe a little bacon too and let's let's talk about that one of the things that they mentioned was that it was very likely that the irish uh, would have bacon as a part of their meal but not the bacon that we would consider bacon and i've 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 gotten this on you know reading some like spy novels where they talk about having bacon sandwiches and in hindsight i wonder if this is the same thing as it's basically loin of bacon which is really looks like more like ham than it mm -hmm. does what we would consider bacon you know a thin crispy slice of pork belly this is more uh, sure. a pork loin kind of a ham looking thing so mm -hmm. and uh i don't know what you know much about guinness i've never had the opportunity to try guinness but i guess there's a not only I looked on the Guinness website and I had to put in my age, you know, to show my ID to get in the Guinness website, but it's some sort of Irish stout or Irish beer, and yeah, um, it's just very uh, very dark. Um, and you can go into their recipe section, and a lot of it's not recipes. Well, there's a lot of recipes using Guinness. There's also a lot of pairings, <laughs> so they're like this goes really good with Guinness. So, yeah, Guinness is. Uh, I've had one before. And it has been described to me as uh, a beer that you drink and you feel like you've eaten a meal afterwards. So it's a very huh. heavy, heavy alcoholic beverage. But it's pretty good if you like stout, yeah. heavy, heavy stout so things. Made from, so made from barley, I think. So maybe it is kind of... All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your flavorites. Dad, what is your favorite for this period of time? Period of time. This this episode is I'm going back to the bacon discussion. I got to as I was reading about the Irish bacon, I got to thinking about my bacon. And this is no big secret, but I don't think a lot of people necessarily do this unless you've, you know, um, explored it like I have. But I'm going to suggest it's kind of a recipe, basically uh, a method of how to make bacon, and that's by baking it. So you could call this, you know, we're vittles and vitals, V squared, and then baked bacon, B squared. So this is V squared for the B squared, or hey. B squared for the V squared, however you want to look at it. So simple. And here's why I like baking bacon. So basically what you do is you set your oven to 400 degrees, mm -hmm. and I looked at two different recipes just in preparation because I've done this a lot of times. Uh, and one of them suggested that you just start from a cold oven. Basically, you take your your uh, baking sheet, you line it with foil or you line it with parchment paper. You can put a sort of a, a cooling rack in there to kind of lift the bacon off the surface if you want to, but you don't have to. Uh, mm -hmm. but anyway, just lay your bacon out in strips and you put it in there, be it cold or preheated, either way works. And you know, you, I guess, one recipe said 12 to 17 minutes, another said 18 to 20. So you're looking at that 15 to 20 minute sort of window. Um, and then you need to start checking it. And what I love about this is it's hands off. You know, when you're cooking mm -hmm. bacon in a skillet or even on a like a uh, electric skillet, you've got to be there all the time watching it pretty much. And you got to flip mm -hmm. it. You know, you get spatter all over yourself. Um, but when you bake it, 
not only is the baking sheet like bacon shape, you know, it's it's long and thin and you, you lay the bacon out and it's all the same size. Whereas in a skillet, you know, you've got the middle part where you can, the, a bacon strip might fit, but you got those side corners or whatever, the, the round where it mm-hmm. doesn't fit. That's not the same on an electric skillet, but it, you know, when you do it in a cast iron, which I'm not against, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, you have some issues to deal with. So, you know, it's hands off, you know, maybe you, you, you give yourself 10 or 15 minutes where you can be doing something else to prepare for breakfast. And that's quarter of my, you know, or, or dinner or lunch or whenever you're having this bacon. Uh, for me, that's one of the hardest things about cooking for a crowd is trying to get everything together at the same time. So this really helps with that. Um, you've got, um, you know, you can use foil or parchment or not, you know, it's, less mess you can still save your baking grease by just pouring it off the sheet into your mason jar wherever you keep it um you don't have to turn it you don't have to flip it i mean you can put the rack or you can not put the rack so just overall it's just a way better method of making bacon i think and here's the cool stuff you can add stuff so like i've done like i've brushed on maple syrup or sprinkle brown sugar on it put some fresh ground black pepper um I haven't done this, but I've had it where people like will put the maple or the brown sugar and put little pieces of pecan on there uh, mm. to add to it. And that does sound you know, good. You, you can't really do that in in a skillet. So, so that's my flavor yes. this week. Is I mean, bacon is is awesome anyway, but mm-hmm. baking it really is, is just changes a, just the game. A winning winning way to do it. Yeah, and most people don't realize this, but. A majority of the time that you get bacon in a restaurant, it was most likely baked. I hadn't thought so, of that, but that makes sense. Yeah, it's the easiest way to make large uh, amounts of bacon. Oh, absolutely! And see, that's that's another thing you can make a big. You could actually make two sheets worth or whatever, and get you know bacon for a fam. Whereas if you do it in a you know a cast iron skillet, again, love my cast iron. But if you do that, mm-hmm. you might have to make it in batches and and uh, takes a while, yeah. and it's not all at the same temp and everything. Yeah. So my flavor for this week is following the St. Patrick's uh, Day theme. Uh, it is a YouTube video called St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. It is by Lutheran Satire. And it's one of those bad animation videos that's really funny because it is St. Patrick who is literally a painting of St. Patrick whose mouth moves uh, trying to explain the Trinity these two Irishmen. Um, it's really funny to those who have spent some time looking at heresies within the Trinity or through I think explanations you better of the that. Trinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heresies that are found in explanation of the Trinity. This podcast believes in the Trinity. Um, but it's just really funny, um, because these like two ignorant Irish guys tear apart the bad analogies from St. Patrick. So it's just really funny. It has some humor, but also some like solid biblical teaching. So yeah, Lutheran satire, good, solid videos. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you've enjoyed it and think others might enjoy it too, please share. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you found us. And they are legion. You can find us also on the worldwide interweb at Vital Vital Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there or on Facebook at Vittle and Vitals Podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea of a subject you'd like to hear us cover, we are game, and just shoot us a DM. And remember, if it's vital, look for the Vittles. <laughs>